you'd mentioned that an answer I gave was pretty essentialist and because you'd asked me to do something and it doesn't really matter what it was. But I said, I don't do that. And you said, oh, that's different than no. And I'm curious why me saying I don't do that is different than no. And I have my own theories, but I'm curious what you think. Well, I think the difference is to say no to a request is sounds like I could do this. I right. do it under many circumstances. But for you, the answer is no. So, <laughs> yeah, so, that's so what I'm thinking it, too. So it emphasizes the personal uh, rejection because you're not giving any other explanation. And even if you say, well, no, because I have this other commitment, it still implies, well, there are many situations I would still say yes. But if you use the phrase like you just did, mm-hmm. which is, I just don't do that, then you're, it's identity. It's, there's no circumstance mm-hmm. in which that would work. So it's not personal to you. It's, a strategic, it's like a strategic reality uh, that, that we just... We just need to work around. That is that is identity based, right? Rather it, than circumstance based. You have to make it a part of your identity because the second you go, well, I'll do this for this person, but not for you. Then the other person says, oh, I guess I'm not as close of a friend, or I guess this is uh, only something that certain people get, and it becomes like this offensive affront or a challenge for them to overcome. But if I just don't do something, full stop. Like you said, it's an identity thing. And it also, not only does does it sort of invite less conflict, but it's good for me as the as the owner of that identity to, th- to sort of reinforce that about myself. And I also don't have to think hard about the decision because the answer is universally no. Exactly. It simplifies the process for you, but it's also an empowering way of saying it. There's a similar phrase that you can use in a family with children, which is, oh, well, so-and-so's family is doing this, and so-and-so's family can use that video game, and they can do and, – and, and you can fight every one of those battles, or you can say, well, in our family, we do this. And that's, that's it. You, to fight it, then you're fighting who we are. <laughs> which is which is a completely different right, yeah. thing. And you're not going to budget because this is, we've thought through this and this is who we are. So this is how we behave. And so I, I think it is a distinctive thing, not the no, but we just, uh, we just don't do that. That's not who we are. So as COVID has happened, and as I see everybody struggling with... Um, Teaching well, fractions well, when they're an attorney. <laughs> slash, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and what took us several years to get adjusted to, people had to adjust within five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just feel like, I just feel for everybody having to have done that because it, that's not really how change is optimally done, right? Ch- suddenly cramming everything together, everything integrated, everything converging uh, must has been, of course, enormously stressful for people. But but it also has been an opportunity, I think, for people to look at their own life, their own home, whether they want to or not, you have to confront it. You have to see how it is. And if you have a strained relationship or many strained relationships, you are facing that. And it's probably not very pretty. It's, it, you're absolutely right. And I, I look at working from home as the same thing. I've been working from home since... 2007 or something like that. I used to be a Wall Street attorney, which is like the opposite of entrepreneurial thought and working from home because you're always in the office and you're always doing something that has just come down from three, three layers above you. And for me, it took me multiple years to become an effective work from home type. What were your transitions? What things did you concretely do differently when you went from being 
attorney in Wall Street to entrepreneur at home. What what did you learn that worked? So first of all, I I started realizing that everybody who sort of tells you how to run a business. Uh, from an office, especially back then, didn't necessarily know. They just knew how to run hierarchical organizations, and they weren't necessarily going to be able to teach you how to be more productive. And then all the people that were teaching you how to be more productive were kind of more concerned with all of these little hacks and tricks to get you to do more things in less time, which is actually not the way to go either these days, in my opinion, and yours too, judging by your entire body of work that you've spent your life (laughs) doing and creating. And so for me, it was like reading sales books and when they go set up your entire week in advance, if by Sunday night you're about to go to bed and your entire week isn't planned out in hour long blocks or whatever, you don't go to bed, you plan it out. So I started doing that. And now I plan everything in my day in 15 minute blocks. Not that each task is 15 minutes long, but the calendar happens to work well in 15 minute blocks. So I'll have like my lunch is on there. My workout time is on there. My shower is on there. My time with my family is on there. And that's what default fills empty time, by the way. Because again, I have a 14-month-old. So if I have something that cancels, I don't go, let me fart around on YouTube. It's like, where's the kid? We're going for a walk. Um, planning out phone calls, making sure that everything is scheduled in advance. And, and also, I, I refused to be reactive. And that might be obvious for a lot of folks. But what was really helpful is, Let's say that I get a phone call at 1 p.m. and there's nothing in my 1 p.m. calendar slot. I don't pick up the phone because I haven't talked to that person in a while. I send them a message and it says, hey, it looks like you called. Is everything okay? And if they don't say, I'm in jail, come bail me out. You live in San Francisco still, right? Then I just ignore, you know, whatever that sort of message was. And I say, let's catch up on and I have a block of time elsewhere in the week does any of these times work for you? Yeah, great. Call you on Saturday at 1030 in the morning and I'm on my walk and I'm doing my phone calls because the second you start reacting to one thing, you think that call is going to take 15, 20 minutes. It ends up taking 45 minutes. You're pushing your next meeting that ends up pushing your next thing. Pretty soon you can't work out or you've missed the walk with your kid or you are late for dinner. And it's just that reactiveness will, it's like a virus that can, that is highly contagious during your day. The second you react to one or two things, you, even if you had nothing in that slot, you have destroyed the mindset that you are in charge of your own time. I, I just think that's so true and powerful. You're describing an, a highly intentional and structured approach to that intentionality. Mm-hmm. So you're saying once a week, you are scheduling every part of your week ahead of time. Yeah. When the unexpected things come in, you still respond by saying let's do this at this time yes Yes. you're not just picking up the phone responding because that person happens to have called you or you happen to have an idea to call someone you're saying you still translate that to a specific time on the calendar is that what you're Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and now it ends up being my calendar is probably 95% full. And again, by full, I don't mean busy. There's plenty of times it says, do nothing or like, watch a movie with your wife. That's also in there. And people go, Oh, I don't need that. I remember to do that. Okay, do you? Because it doesn't matter if you remember to do it. It's whether or not you have planned the time to do it. And if you don't do this, I've, I've never met anybody who does it successfully where they go, oh, I just remember the five things I have to do this week, or I'll just figure out when to do this tomorrow. It doesn't work because 
the reason I plan everything out in blocks is because I have a pretty good idea of how long things are going to take. And if I'm wrong about that, I can move a, a very important task. I can continue it later or move something else. And if it's, if it's something that is taking less time, then great. Now, like I said before, I'll go, where's my kid? Oh, he's uh, upstairs with his aunt playing with finger paints. I'm going to go join them, you know, because I have 30 minutes because this thing ended early. I will do that. What you have to be careful of doing is people go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to start doing some email. And then it's like, oh, I've got to call that guy back. So you get on the phone, you do that. And then you go, wow, I can't believe it's almost lunchtime. That never happens to me. The reason is because I start in the morning by going, okay, I have to take a shower, done. All right, I've got a video call with uh, Greg McCune, done. Okay, now I've got a lunch unit or hour, half hour, whatever, done. Uh, now I've got to clear out this particular part of my inbox. Oops, ran out of time, doesn't matter, done. Move on to my next thing. And if something happens where I go, I just need a nap, I'm burned out. I take that block and I don't just say, I'll figure out when to do that. I have to drag that block on the calendar with the mouse to another part of that calendar, and it's still an hour long. So if I take a three-hour break in the middle of the day and I'm dragging things to later in the day or dragging things to other days in the week, I don't just go, I don't end up with that to-do list that says like write book as item number 72, and there's <laughs> no time allotted for it. And I don't end up with 30 things to do on a Tuesday when I have time to realistically do eight of those things. That's how overwhelm starts. And whenever I go and talk to my friends who are like, how do you get more done in a week than I do in a month? I always go, show me your calendar. And either they don't even have one or it's got like four things on it. It's like call Jan. All you have to do tomorrow is call Jan. Well, and I have to get to zero inbox and I got to take my kids to school and I've got to make dinner and I've also got to set up my home studio. Uh, oh, and I've got to take the TV back to Best Buy because it's broken. And I go, where's all that stuff? Because by the time you get in your car and go to Best Buy and take your kids to school, it's 1 p.m. You're not doing any of this. And they go, oh, yeah, that's probably why things get backed up to 9 p.m. And I'm like, and then when are you spending time with your family? And if you have everything planned, then you're done when you're done. Like Cal Newport, you know him, right? Yeah. He, he, like he has that sort of thing at 5 or 6 where he just says out loud, shut down complete or something along those lines. You get to do that. But if everything's just been kicked down, you end up at the end of the day going, damn it, I didn't even get through 12 of the things on my list of 20 things to do. What a non-productive day. So you feel like garbage, but you're also exhausted and you've just wasted and done a bunch of inefficient things that weren't prioritized. That's the other thing about being reactive. You don't prioritize things. You just do things as they come in. So you're like, I've got to take this TV back and I've got to mail this thing. And pretty soon you realize I did, a, I did 18 things 16 of them were things that I didn't even have to do at all this month or, or myself personally. And the other three things that were supposed to get done that didn't get done are like, call your mother uh, and spend time with family, write a chapter in your book or part of a chapter in a book and create a podcast. None of that got done. So all of your non-essential work got prioritized because it was urgent because you screwed up your calendar. You screwed up your priorities. You screwed up your planning. So all this non-urgent or, or non-urgent or urgent but not important stuff got done. None of your important stuff got done because you just ran around putting out fires. What, what's your weekly planning process? It sounds like that's key for you to be able to maintain control of your calendar in the way you're describing. Definitely. So first things first is every Monday, 
I have a meeting with my assistant who actually is my wife uh, before I just had a different assistant. But now it's like my wife works with me because she was an accountant. She's like, it's not fair. You get to stay home. And I was like, I'll show you how, how much <laughs> fun it is. You get to work with me now. You'll regret so, that. So you have a meeting with Jen yes. at what time? At like, it, let's see, this week it ended up being, I can open up my calendar. I can open up my calendar and actually show you this because that's generally easier. It looks like it was at 1 p.m. on Monday and or last Monday. Okay. And you spent how long doing it? Half an hour. It's actually quite easy because I don't Hmm. have I don't have a blank week. Right. I have a week that has several podcast interviews for the Jordan Harbinger show already scheduled. So it's like I've got uh, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster on, on Tuesday. I've got a jewel thief on Friday. I've got my f- Feedback Friday advice show where I give advice to listeners on Wednesday. Those are at those times. I've got my lunch blocks in there. And then I go, hey, let's on Thursday go out to lunch because there's outdoor dining and we can, it's like really safe. There's no one at this restaurant. Let's drag that down and make that two hours instead of a half hour or an hour. That gives us plenty of time. Um, and I start to populate things in there like workouts go in there. So I'm really on Monday during that planning meeting, all those recurring things and all those things that got scheduled three months ago, those are already populating it. So I'm not planning a 40 hour work week. I'm planning the remaining 10 hours that I have or the remaining 20 hours or whatever it is of time that isn't already spoken for. That's what's going on. So it's pretty quick, actually. Well, it makes sense to me because you've designed somewhat of an ideal week for yourself. You've been really careful about how much time you want to spend on various activities personally and professionally. So as you come into each week, that basic design already exists. So you're just trying to say, well, which of these things do I want to uh, to shift this week or what changes have happened, what things got canceled, what things got moved around. And you're just updating your ideal plan rather than creating it from scratch. Exactly. It's more maintenance. I'm not, like you said, I'm not looking at this blank slate and going, what wondrous things do I want to do this week? Cause that's a big task. Uh, and it would take way more than half an hour, which means th- the reason I keep the planning meeting to half an hour is because If I were to create a plan from scratch, it would take 60 to 90 minutes. You're saying if you do it and you do it in a smaller increment, you'll actually face it and do it rather than trying to do something that's longer, overwhelming, then you abandon it for something easier, more trivial, whatever. Exactly. Like if you're writing a book, which you've done, you don't have write book and then March is blocked off, right? You don't have write book and then like Thursday is blocked off. You have... I assume you have writing blocks that are, I don't know, one, two, three hours long, whatever you sort of have figured out your brain can do. And they're probably in the mornings or whenever you feel most creative slash caffeinated. And they go either every day, every working day or most working days. And they probably don't necessarily end except for vacations that you've chosen in advance. So I just get through what I can and I'm done. But it's all blocked off in time and delineated. You're again describing a highly structured approach to controlling your life and keeping what's important to you actually front and center. But what do you say to mother, father, they've got their children, they're at home, they've got any number of interruptions, any number of uncertainties that come at them. You have multiple children, lots of different needs, You're describing, I think, a process that feels um, 
inflexible or relatively inflexible. Talk to, yes. talk to me about that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd love to address that. So first of all, I will put this caveat in there that I, my kid is 14 months old and I can't begin to say, this is how you do things with kids. Cause I have 14 months of experience in one kid and you have like four and they're teenagers. So it's different. So there are going to be a lot of people that go, you don't know what you're talking about. And I will accept that if, if they are convinced that they are right. What I will say is I get a lot of interruptions as well from other things that are not kids. I've got family members that live in the house. I live with other family members right now because we're building a house next door. We have construction on that house. So people come in and ask things. They need things. They need us to look at the plan. Does the drain go here? You know, I can't go, let me get to you on Thursday. In the meantime, just don't install any plumbing. Like that's not going to work. So I have similar problems like that. Maybe fewer temper tantrums. Uh, depends on my father-in-law's feeling that day, but, but, um, but like I will just move things around. If somebody comes in the middle of my email block, then perhaps I don't get to finish that particular task. Or I put in a 30 minute, my wife makes fun of me for doing this, but I'll put in like a 30 minute thing, little, uh, calendar entry in, in a block. And it says like, uh, get distracted taking out the garbage and talking to the neighbor. And she's like, why did you put that in your calendar? What's wrong with you? Are you that OCD? And the answer is no, I want to look back at this and go, where were my inefficiencies last week? So I almost will do a postmortem and I'll go, wow, last week felt like crap or yesterday felt horrible. What happened? Ah, I got distracted for 90 minutes. Can I avoid that? Not really without being antisocial or not really without holding up the construction. Is that something I can avoid in the future? If yes, figure out system to do so. If no, then forgive yourself and move on. Stop beating yourself up for like talking with the nice old lady next door who just wants to be friends with their new neighbors. Don't do not do that to yourself. So you're saying that you would, if I looked at your calendar for last week, I would be looking at a detailed account of what actually happened, not just what was planned. Right. Yes. And that's important to do because a lot of people will look at my calendar and they're like, yeah, you could really order this differently. And I go, well, I could, but that would be rewriting history in many ways. If a call goes long, I drag that thing out and people will get these calendar invites and they go, did you change the meeting time that we just had? And I go, yeah, we started 15 (laughs) minutes late and we ended uh, 15 minutes later and I, I changed it to reflect that. And they're like, why? And then I have to have this little conversation with them. And, and half the t- it's my idea of converting people to my, to my system here. But I will add those things in because uh, otherwise you have no real historical record. You ha- that's the journal, journal entry where someone goes, today was great. The sun was shining and everything was nice. And you read that and you go, this person never had a problem in their life. How educational is that? It's not. I want to be able to look at last month and go, look at this mess of everything that happened. Okay, that, that's how I learn things like turn your phone off during the day. Hey, can I have the hospital call you and you tell me if I need to do anything? And my wife, who's like, again, my assistant will say, yeah, sure. No problem. So now people who need business stuff, they don't even have my phone number. Like friends like you will have it and you can shoot me a text or an email or or call me. But somebody who's just like trying to plan something or, you know, the hospital that's calling to tell me my COVID results are negative. They just don't even get to interrupt me. They don't have my information. They only have the gatekeeper. So I want a a real accounting of where the time went. Is it possible for me to work out in 15 minutes? No, it feels like it is because I work out from home, but it just never happens. I'm tired. I want to rest another minute between each set. I need the half an hour. And if I don't drag the calendar entries to expand 
and be a true accounting of that, I will never actually be able to diagnose this problem. I will always lie to myself and tell me that this call is going to take half an hour and this lunch is going to take 20 minutes and this workout is going to take 40. I will, always, I will continue to lie to myself unless I have proof to the contrary. I've recommended many times to people that they do a time log <clears throat> for a day or for a week and just show what they're using their time for as a, a type of mirror for their life. You're using the calendar as a perpetual time log. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're not just using it as a forward-looking tool. You're also looking at it as a learning tool. Yes, so that when you're reflecting on how you're using your time, you're not guessing. You literally can show me, sounds like to the minute, or you know, at least to the 15 minutes, yes. where you are spending this precious life. I think a lot of people don't have anything close to that specificity. And so they don't know. Yeah, it they, ju they, they just know their life feels reactive. I think some people listening to this will say, well, this is fine for you. I mean, you, you. Jen is your wife and also your assistant. But what about her life? How does she prioritize her life? Does she use a system like this? Is her life in balance? To, or, or does she just enable your life to be simple and in balance and prioritized? Thoughts? So it's a little bit of both. She does use the system, but she's not as rigorous as I am. And I, it's, as you can imagine, there's a lot of her going, I didn't even have time to do this today. And I go, well, if you just, if only you'd listen to me more. And it's a great way to get uh, a, like a lasagna thrown in your face. <laughs> so you got to be kind of careful when it's your wife. But uh, there's, I think what you're leaning at, at asking or hinting at asking is, is it possible to do this where it's not just somebody else's life being totally exploited essentially for the sake of yours? Like, does my mess just get pushed off onto somebody else or does the mess actually get eliminated? Right. Yeah. I and, think, I think, I think that there are, I think that there would be women, wives, you know, support people listening to this saying, well, this is great, Jordan. It's great that you have someone else making your life possible. Good, right. good for you. Yeah, good for you. But but I'm in that role. They're saying I, I don't have somebody, you know, I don't have an assistant. I don't have, you know, a spouse doing this for me. I'm doing this for someone else. How can I, yeah. how, what really, is this applicable? You know, if so, prove it. Yes. So long before I had an assistant, I was using a similar system. My similar, my system's evolved and gotten better since then. It It doesn't require an assistant. But if you want to do it yourself, you absolutely can. You just have to be more honest with yourself about how you felt, let's say, last week. Were you comfortable with the workload you did last week? Or did you go to bed on Friday thinking, thank God this week was over. It was an absolute nightmare. Because if so, I suggest you do your planning meetings on Fridays when you're not feeling super energized when I'm not feeling like caffeinated Monday, well-rested, yeah, let me do 17 interviews in August. I don't want that. <laughs> I want to be kind of feeling, what's important to me? What do I have to get done? And where can I take a break? I love this idea of using the calendar very intentionally in the first place, and then secondly, as a source of truth afterwards, so that you're doing a perpetual uh, you know, time assessment uh, of, of what actually, how long it actually takes to prepare for something, how long it actually takes to be on that phone call with so-and-so, so that you just get educated in your future planning. 
actually getting honest and real about the logging of your time. I love this. Tell me, there was another system that we talked about previously, but the idea of the network. You've mentioned that in passing, but one of the things you shared that seemed so relevant to me is that people normally talk about networking in a very ad hoc way, as if it's the only kind of networking is informal uh, and that that's sufficient. But you have chosen uh, and learned and taught structures for how to network better. That was key to you being able to rebuild within 11 months, an even bigger show than before that was even more successful than before. I mean, teach us how to do that. Sure. So I was teaching networking and relationship development skills. Networking is kind of a dirty word. A lot of people don't like to hear it. And, and I understand that because they think of like the, the security system salesman throwing a business card in your face and showing up with a briefcase. When I'm saying networking and relationship building, what I'm talking about is I'm reaching out to people using, one of the things I use is a CRM, which is essentially a giant electric Rolodex of people's names and emails and phone numbers. And in this system, I, I tell it to, it's connectionfox.com is the one that we created and it's free right now. I'd love if people go ahead and try it out. It looks at your email and you tell it, hey, I want to talk to John Doe every 90 days. And when that time comes that you haven't spoken with him or emailed or called, then it will remind you. And every time you have an interaction with that person, you can go in there and say, I just had a phone call and talked with Greg McEwen for a while. So I'm going to mark that interaction in there very quickly and then put some notes in to say what we talked about. And it will keep track of that and it will show me my record of communication with you. And like I said, it will remind me if I'm overdue for something. And you sort of have this gauge of network health that says you're kind of up to date on people or you're kind of not. And that's really useful for making sure that you're maintaining relationships with hundreds or even thousands of people in a way that doesn't require you to keep it all in your head, doesn't require you to go out of your way uh, in any specific way to like create other systems around it. And it's really easy. It takes like five minutes a day to look at and go, okay, I'm up to date with these people. And you're not just reaching out and saying, hi, I want this from you. I usually give people a brief update on what I'm working on, find out what they're working on, because the real value in this is, oh, Greg's doing a podcast? Well, okay, let me know if you need any help with this. Uh, yeah, I'll happily get on a call with you on Saturday and talk you through some stuff. Let's chat about that. Or someone will say, oh, man, sorry, it took me a while to get back to you. I'm doing a book launch. And I go, oh, okay, anything I can help with? Well, I need a website for the book. Let me introduce you to my web designer. He's a really reliable guy with reasonable pricing. So now I'm able to find out what they're working on, what their needs are, and match them to other people in my network that may be able to fulfill those needs. A lot of people think networking is like a pie, where if you ask someone for a favor, you've eaten a slice of that pie and eventually the pie is gone. It's not how it works. It's a muscle that the more you give and the more they give to you, the stronger that relationship actually is. What are... Give me two or three things that you that you think are like, you know, these are elite networking tactics. So the first thing is the, the use of the CRM, which we kind of talked about, the ABG mindset, which is always be giving. So I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more. What ABG mindset is, is I go into that and I go, all right, I need a graphic designer, but I'm open to finding anybody that can benefit anyone else in my network at any time, whether it's now or in the, or in the future. 
So the first person I talked to was a corporate attorney that does trademarks. Great. File that, not just in my brain, but in my CRM, in Connection Fox, and I go, this is a trademark lawyer uh, that specializes in digital intellectual property. That's very useful. All right, I don't have anything for them now, but I may in the future, in the next five years, who knows. I'm going to keep in touch with them because it takes almost no time, and I'm going to be able to throw them clients as people ask me for people who do digital IP. Then I move on to the next person. They own laundromats. I don't really, I'm not super interested in that, but laundromats need signage. They need digital ads. They need to protect their uh, premises legally. They need security. And also, who knows what else that person or group of people is into. So I file that away in my mind and in my CRM. Now, if I'm looking for a graphic designer, fine, I can ping my network, but I'm not primarily only looking to get something out of this. I've just made... 10, 20 new connections at that event. And those are people now that are nodes in my network that can help other people and that I can introduce to other folks as well. These are fantastic. Give me, give me one more. So, so you've given two concrete things. Give me a third that somebody can, can do right now to improve their, uh, their long-term relationships. They're creating higher value in important relationships. So this is my favorite one. I always save it for last. So good thing you remembered because I might have (laughs) forgot. Every day uh, around 10 o'clock in the morning, I pick up my phone. I go into my text messaging application and I go all the way down to the bottom. And at the bottom are those threads that's like, I met you at a lunch where we were speaking at Facebook and we had a, you know, one of those like crappy corporate catered lunches afterwards or something. And I sat next to you and I'm sure at Facebook, it would be delicious, but whatever. And we kept in touch, but I never really got back with you on a lot of things or I've emailed you or I've, you know, we, we like, you're kind of at the periphery. You're a dormant tie in my network. You know, we didn't keep in good touch. You're not in my, you're not in connection Fox. You're just kind of like a guy that I met and I followed up maybe once because that thread is old. It's a two year old text thread. I go down through those every day and I call it connect four because I try and re-engage four of those threads every single day. And I send them a, not a scripted, a type of response or not a scripted message, but something that follows a formula. And the formula is I use my name. I use their name. So I say, Hey Greg, it's Jordan Harbinger. We met at Facebook in 2017 when we were talking at Facebook is the future networking or event, a corporate event. Uh, we sat next to each other at the lunch. So I'm telling you that I know your name. So it's not, hi friend. This is a mass text from a scam artist or from, you know, the IRS. Um, <laughs> I tell you my name first and last, because you never want to be like, it's Sam. And I'm like, oh, Samantha. And it's like, no, Sam Jones from face. Oh, oops. That's awkward. I'm never going to answer this thread again. Right. Uh, also there's the, the place where we met. So you don't have to guess. What, what we're trying to avoid is new phone, who dis, or just them ignoring you because they go, who is that person? I don't have time for this. Next, you're making it really easy for them. Then I also send an update about what I'm doing. Hey, I've got a kid. He's 14 months old. Uh, NorCal, you know, San Jose is crazy. I'm building a house out here. The smoke's going wild. I'm growing the Jordan Harbinger show every day. What are you up to? It's been so long. We haven't done a good job. I haven't done a good job of keeping in touch. Uh, and I'd like to change that. I call that out because otherwise people go, why is he reaching out now? Is he going to sell me some protein shake, multi-level marketing crap? Is he trying to get me to join Scientology? Like what's happening? You know, who, why, why is it? I'm not going to respond or I'm going to be cautious. I just say I've done a bad job keeping in touch and I'm trying to change that. They may still be suspicious, but the good news is 
I'm reaching out to those people now and re-engaging those weak and dormant ties, and I don't have an agenda other than re-engaging those weak and dormant ties. And what that does is it allows me to kick the rust off that relationship and then get it moving forward again. Don't do it. Don't start doing this when you need to launch your book. Because if you go, hey, it's been so long. I've done a bad job keeping in touch. Send me pictures of your kids. Here's a picture of my kid. By the way, will you email my book to your email list? They go, I knew it, you son of a gun. I don't <laughs> want to talk to you anymore. You know, delete my number. They feel burned. You want to re-engage this relationship and reinvigorate this relationship, these weak and dormant network ties now while you do not need anything. And then later, nobody's in two years when you need something, they're not going to go, I knew it. You contacted me of June 2014 just because you were launching a book now. They're not going to do that. That's a nobody sane thinks like that. So the more you do this, the more of these people you re-engage and get these relationships back going, the better off you're going to be. And, and you'll get 75, 50 to 75% response rate from this. Don't be upset if people don't answer. Some people are busy. Some people go, you, I don't know you. They forget. They're bad with texting. Just ignore it and move on. And you can literally keep relationships going with hundreds and or possibly thousands of people in the time that you would normally waste on Instagram waiting in line at Starbucks. But without a system, you have to consciously think of it. And there's only much conscious thinking one can do. And this is why the system you're describing uh, is so helpful and so valuable. Also, if you just try to keep it in your head, what happens is you end up texting the same 15 people, uh, maybe the same 50. You just can't scale it. Also, it wastes so much cognitive cycles. I mean, oh, I got to remember to text these 15 people tomorrow. It's just not even remotely realistic. And that means that my cognitive bandwidth is free to do good work. It's free to remember other things and add them to these apps later. So people go, how do you keep in touch with 11, 1200 people? Well, it's easy. I spend X amount of time each day reaching out. And when the time's up, it's done. And somehow magically, when you add up 10 minute blocks a day over six months, it's a lot of time. The final quarter of the book, Essentialism, is about systems. And it's almost like even those that have read the book, even those that have read it multiple times, it's almost like they don't know it's there, which I suppose somehow is on yeah. me. But it's like this, it's this hugely important factor of, of, of how to be an essentialist. You want systems that make things as easy as humanly possible. You, you, you don't want to, do what matters. In this case, building relationships. That's, that's a highly important, highly valuable activity. But you don't want that to happen only when you consciously think of it. You want a system that works even when you don't consciously think of it. And, and that's what you're describing. There, there's um, somebody that came into my world who has a strategy for networking that basically is he identifies who it is he wants to have in his life uh, wants to extend his, his relationships. And he says, okay, that person, that relationship so important to me. I'm willing to invest a year of giving. We're never asking for one thing. It's, it's very different than what you're describing in terms of the whole system, but just that alone. And he says, effectively, there's nobody he can't build a relationship with, with their strategy. Because it's so not what is normally done. That's why it's ABG always be giving instead of ABC always be closing, right? Always be, always be giving or always be generous. You don't, you should not be keeping score or calculating what other people can do for you because 
you have no idea what they can and can't do for you in the future. Um, there have been people, I've got them jobs and they're like, anything you need, I'll help you out. And I'm like, what's this person going to do for me? I, this person, I got him a job in another town. Uh, this, there's been many occasions where that person is like, I'll get an email from them and they'll be from a company that I'm working with and they'll go, Hey, I saw your information come into our lead pipe today. And I'll go, oh, interesting. I didn't know you worked there. Yeah, the job you got me at this led me to working with Rodney. And then when he came working here, he brought me with him. And I go, great. Anyway, I was trying to buy ads. And he goes, I'm going to make sure that you get a discount. I'm going to say this is a really good guy to work with. And we should give him a low CPM. And, you know, and I go, you don't have to do that. And he's like, no, 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 I insist. This is a guy who I helped find him a place to live because he was my roommate in law school's friend growing up. He called me out of the blue. I told him about safe and unsafe neighborhoods in LA. And then I introduced him to somebody who I guess ended up hiring him at a podcast studio. He ended up following that person to their new company. Now he's selling me ads and I saved thousands of dollars because he got me a lower rate. That's how that works. You can't predict that. I, I feel like in life that two of the highest value assets is time and how we use it and relationships and how we build them. You have dealt with systems that you use and others can use that are listening to this for managing and assessing the use of time and then also actual systems for doing the same for relationships. I think it's highly valuable for anyone who is trying to live a more essential life uh, and that's everybody that's listening to this. Jordan Harbinger, what a delight to talk with you today. Thanks for having me on, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you sincerely for listening. And if you like this conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review and a comment to help other people find us. Email me at essentialism.com if you have questions you would like me to answer in a future episode. Uh, soon here we will have an episode specifically, a sort of ask me anything episode. If you have questions you'd like me to address, uh, please email me at essentialism.com so I can consider it. Uh, if you want to join our community, follow us on social media at Gregory McEwen and at Essentialism Podcast. Again, I really am genuinely grateful to you for listening. Uh, remember, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. <laughs>